Glad that uh, Dave Baggy can join us again. Um, I've really thoroughly enjoyed getting to know Dave this summer. We had some time together, and uh, I'm grateful for his willingness to come here this morning and bring us the word. Dave, thank you. And it is the first Sunday in Advent, and we're waiting for the Christ. And the, the theme is hope, so I have a title for you, Hope in the Lord. And the text is Psalm 131, if you would like to turn there in your Bible. Um, it is a short psalm. It's, it's three verses. It's well-known and loved. You will recognize it immediately. I'm sure you've thought about it. Um, but it, it is a, an example of genius because it is something profound that is uh, communicated in short, um, concise, simple form. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said that it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. That it speaks of a young child, but it contains the experience of an adult in Christ. Uh, so if you found the text, Psalm 131, let's read it together. This is the word of the Lord. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And may God add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of his written word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you will speak to us through your spirit, that I will be out of the way and not a distraction, and that through your word and spirit you will communicate truth to us and you will have us to know you better and to hope in you. Through the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, when I was in Philadelphia, we had a family involved in our church plant, and there was a, a father and a mother and their daughter and her family. So it was three generations, and they were involved in every aspect of what we were doing. And when we moved back to Virginia, sometime uh, later, he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Um, and he, five years, fought... Uh, with with lots of chemotherapy and all, and all that that entails, and after five years he had he had beaten cancer. Uh, there, he was cancer free. He was declared cancer free, and then within a year from that time, he had cardiac arrest and fell over dead. Uh, he was working on his house and he was found with his tools in his hand. Uh, he died so suddenly. So you might imagine. This family was rocked and, and quite concerned with, with the why. What was God doing in this? That he had, uh, he had defeated cancer and then suddenly he dies. Um, it seemed so difficult to, to stomach having fought so hard. Um, it reminds me of a, a friend of mine. I'm, this is former roommate. He had a family. He was a pastor in a church. And his wife slipped into some mental illness and started committing adultery. Eventually, they divorced uh, with the family and the church's blessing, but then the church fired him for being divorced. So he lost his wife and he lost his job. And then uh, his middle child had a terminal illness and he lost his child. And this fella says, I believe in the Lord but I don't understand him. And I have hope in the resurrection, but I'm telling you, I don't understand. Uh, By the way, I hope you counted your blessings this Thanksgiving. Um, 
I can't talk to that guy enough because he gives me perspective. Because he helps me see the joy in the resurrection. And his joy is infectious. It's inspiring. He has hope in the age to come as he has fought off this deep suffering. He provides everyone else with great encouragement. Now, what about you? What about your life? Is it uh, what you thought it would be? Is it what you planned? Has it everything turned out the way that you, you expected or wanted or maybe hoped for? Uh, is everything out of place? I mean, there, there are often times I look at my life and I'm like, really? It, it feels like so random, like I'm bombarded by all these bizarre happenings. That I, Where did this come from? Why am I here? I didn't know that I would be here. Um, or maybe you're just doing swimmingly and you take all the credit and you're very happy with yourself. Uh, perhaps you are miserable to be around for that reason. Um, uh, maybe you're a very controlling person. Everything has to go your way. You have to be in charge. You need everything in order according to your rules and regulations. And you have some anxiety when things are out of control. Uh, in all these ways, we are, we're talking about pride. We're talking about arrogance. Uh, it's hard work ruling the world. Uh, and arrogance and control and, and the dark side of pride where you, you're, you're disgruntled and downcast because things aren't going the way that you think they ought to go, uh, this all has to do with emptiness. You know, when my kids say, so-and-so at school is so difficult, they're so arrogant, they're so proud, I always say, I wonder what their home life is like. I bet they have a difficult life. Why? Because emptiness produces these sorts of characteristics. Um, why can't things go my way? And then you start comparing to so-and-so who has a, a charmed life and their, their career is seamless and their family is at ease and blessed. And we want to uh, break the, ten, the Tenth Commandment right, and start covering our neighbor. Um, so what do you do with your emptiness, your hunger, your angst, your yearnings and cravings? The Holy Spirit gives us an answer here through David that it's not about our particular circumstances, our individual failures or achievements. It has more to do with God has done for us and therefore our spiritual disposition, our trusting surrender, our holding on to the good news of the gospel. Paul says that the hope of glory is Christ in you. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. So we're going to look at this text. It's in three parts, just like a little mini sermon. The, the, verse one is the problem, which I've kind of started to talk about. Um, and verse two is the sermon illustration. It's the metaphor, and that's where you see the profound thinking. And then verse three is the solution to hope in the Lord now and forevermore. So we have three, three parts of this little sermon. And so let's look at verse by verse. Verse one, he says that my heart is not lifted up. It's not proud. And my eyes are not raised too high. And then he talks about what, uh, what he, his actions are. Okay, so there's inner pride or haughtiness or a, a sense of self that's, that's regulating and governing. And then the eyes are kind of how I'm communicating with people. And your haughtiness and things, are, they're communicated through the eyes. And it's also how I'm viewing the world and how I'm viewing you and what I'm thinking of about you. And then it's what I'm occupying myself with, what I'm doing. 
and what I'm planning and what I'm hoping for. So if you look at that word in the Hebrew, it's it's concerning yourself with, it's what you're going about doing, it's um, how, how you're involving yourself. So it involves your doing and your thinking. It involves your ambitions, aspirations, your sense of achievement. It's what you are about. And it appears that David is talking all about pride here. But when you look at verse 2, the metaphor, you can see, as I've mentioned, that, that all those issues of pride come from emptiness. Come from a hunger deep inside that you're trying to fill. Uh, a sense of, of uh, accomplishment, the idols of knowing. When you, when you say, I've got to know what's going on here, or why me, you're basically saying, God shouldn't govern, I need to process this as the Lord. As the sovereign. It needs to go through my filter and my understanding. That's an idol of knowing. And then we, of course, have idols of doing and, and, and guilt. And it's just a big swirling mess of anxiety and oppression, which is all linked to our hunger. Remember, idols promise you life, but they feed you the bread of anxious toil. So, in verse 2, he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. And that's where you, you, you do some thinking. That a weaned child, this is, this is me not driven, not yearning, uh, uh, not, not governed by your passions and your urges where you're like a crying baby saying, feed me. So when a baby's on a liquid diet and they're growing fast, they're hungry all the time and they can't go very long without a meal. They don't sleep through the night. Anyone who has a little, a little person, you know, it can be very difficult. Uh, trying to keep up with the demands of a hungry child. I remember holding my daughter when she was a little baby, and she was ready for mama, and she was getting ready, and I was just holding her. She latched on. And I said, ow, she bit me. And then, of course, I was embarrassed, because it it, it dawned on me she didn't have any teeth. And and that's what happens when when a baby's hungry. Indiscriminately looking, eyes closed, mouth open, looking for something, right, looking for food. And it reminds me of like a shark swimming through the ocean. You know, when you, if a shark sees a person in the water, they're not thinking, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna scare this dude. He's thinking, I'm hungry, can I eat that? Uh, you know, they find all kinds of garbage in, in sharks' stomachs. Because they go around testing, what, what can I eat? I'm just trying to feed, feed, feed. They're on a mission, it's got one purpose, it's to eat. And when you're weaned, you can wait. You're on solid food, you're getting calories, and you can, defer that gratification, that need for satisfaction. Um, so you're not as hungry. You can sleep through the night. You're able to eat food and be satisfied, which means you're not self-seeking. You're not self-willed or overly ambitious. You're not desperate, actively crying out for satisfaction and trying to eat the people around you. Honor me, respect me, appreciate me. Now, it's biblical that you are crying out. Uh, that's, that's true. Every day you need to cry out to the Lord, but this is the difference. When you're crying out, uh, Mama, I'm hungry, feed me, that's appropriate. But when you get hungry and you start trying to, to feed yourself in inappropriate ways, and you start yelling, why me, or this is BS, or, uh, you know, uh, love me, give me what I need. See, being weaned is a step of maturity. It's a process of, of uh, it's, it's uncomfortable. 
as you're growing and cultivating more of a relationship with your mother, knowing that you're going to be fed. Uh, Notice that the child is still on mama's lap. Secure, safe, happy, still dependent. But there's love and closeness and affection and relationship. The bond between mother and child. Shown here as a bond between us and God. By the way, this is one of the passages where you see God as mother. Now, God is all overwhelmingly shown as masculine, but he created male and female in his image. And so both the genders are found in God. He is their origin. And so we have several passages where we see God as mother. This is one of them. Isaiah 49 says that a mother will not forget the child at her breast, so I will never forget you. Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Then you remember the words of Jesus, how he said that he longed to gather Israel like a mother hen gathers its chicks under its wing. So God is feminine too. In this sense. God is, is nurturing us. God is feeding us. We have mother God who is self-sacrificing for the child. Who will do what that child needs to help them grow and mature and become the image of Jesus. And then you have verse 3. So, you, so the, the problem is our pride and our hunger and insatiable appetite and the, and the, the ways that, that uh, we apply that to our life. And then he's saying, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child and how hoping in the Lord. Which I'm not sure I would have gone in that direction. If I, if I had started with the first two verses, if you had not known the third verse, would you have thought hope would be the answer? I can think of lots of other ways I may, I may have taken that if I were writing this. But he's saying that, that this issue is linked to hope. And we use the word hope like I'm wishing. You know, I'm, I, I hope that the Washington football team wins uh, the division. You know, I'm, I'm wishing that that happens. Um, but biblically speaking, this hope is, is an assurance. It's something that's, that's guaranteed for us, kept by God. We have a living hope, Peter says. And it's through the resurrection. And it's kept in heaven by God that it is a a glorious inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled and it's unfading. As I've mentioned, Paul says the hope of glory is Christ in you. It's this relationship with God. And so when you talk about hope, you have to talk about value. Your value system. If you say, I hope I get a new job, it's because you have value in the promotion, the extra money, the respect, the ease, whatever it's providing you. If you say, I hope I find a certain someone, I hope I get married, it's because you value an intimate love relationship. And, and vice versa. If I say, I value family solidarity, that means some of my hope is there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's a, that can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing because it's not ultimately hoping in the resurrection. And anything can be taken from us. So things can get, you know, can get skewed and become idols and become higher than God. So the question, how do I calm and quiet my soul? What do I do with my yearnings and my urges and my hunger pains? Um, and he says, put your hope in God, which means... Value God. 
See what a great and glorious inheritance we have. Focus on that. Think about it. Exercise your mind and faith in that treasure who is Jesus, the hope of the world. Cultivate that loving relationship with Mother God. It says, trust in the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, the great I Am, who will bleed in your place. And so... It's a resetting of our values, our system of values. It's a repenting of selfish values and acknowledging our need of Jesus and the fact that we have him. We have this glorious hope, the future glory of Christ now in our current loving relationship and forevermore and all that that means. We're just looking through a glass dimly. We don't even understand what God has prepared for us. So that hope is real. It's true. It's kept in heaven By the power of God. And the gospel is food for us. Do you know how to feed yourself on the bread from heaven? Do you know how to go to the scripture? To go to God in prayer? To be a part of services like this? To be in fellowship? To receive the sacrament? And feed upon Jesus? The ordinary means of grace that God provides us that we can grow. When I look at my life and I say, this, this thing is at times a wreck. I don't understand what God is doing or why or where it's going. And then I have to say, hold on a second. I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous for me. I don't have to know. And it doesn't, I don't have to have the understanding for it to be the reality that I'm in. I can need calm and quiet my soul and cling to Jesus. And feed upon the hope that I have in the gospel. And so hope has to do with value. It also has to do with humility and trust. Sometimes when I get full of myself, I have to say, hold on, you're one of seven billion people. Just think about that for a second. Seven billion. And that's not even the people who have already, who have already passed. Isn't it a wonder that God can, is concerned with me at all? But my, for me, everything in my life is so important. First, be a child. Jesus says, you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to become like a child. You've got to be part of the family, just trusting, holding to your parents' hand. You're not figuring everything out. You're not ruling everything. You trust. You humble yourself. You're finite. You don't need the answers. You don't need the results. This hope that's kept in heaven is not earned. It's given by God. It's an inheritance, something that we, it's not our wealth. It's a wealth that's given to us for being in the family, because God has adopted us. God is the one who feeds us. The Holy Spirit pours love into our hearts. And you're familiar with faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This hope is a reality, but we we need to have assurance in it. That will change your life. It'll calm and quiet your soul and how you interact with people and how you use them or don't use them. The Holy Spirit is a deposit, Ephesians says. It's a guarantee that God has given us. He's going he's to take us into his glory. Hebrews 6, that when you, when you understand this, this biblical sense of hope, the value, the humility, the trust, the faith components, you put all that together, and it becomes a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. And so when you value Christ now and in the hope to come, your arrogance is quieted. 
Your neediness is calmed. You're not an orphan. You're not left to your own devices. And Advent tells us that this gratification, this hope, is also deferred. We're going to feed today. I'm feeding you now, I hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to feed upon Christ through the sacrament, through the things mentioned in this service. We're, we're feeding right now. But the real marriage feast of the Lamb is yet to come. So we have the already and the not yet. And Advent says we've got to wait for the full consummation, the full hope that is yet to come. So, when your soul is a wreck, humbly go to God and acknowledge that hunger. But also acknowledge the mother who's got their arms wrapped around you as you sit in her lap and you can be fed and nourished and strengthened. You have a caretaker. And trust through periods of hunger that God's going to feed you again. You've got to get another meal. You've got to feed on, you've got to gather your manna each and every day. And the gospel is food. And then value what we have in Christ. Change your value system. Repent of the selfish values and put the value where it belongs in the Lord of the universe. That having a relationship with your mother is so much more than a meal ticket. A relationship of joy and life and love and maturity. Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the light driving out the darkness. He is healing. He is restoration. He brings fruitfulness. All to think through the fruits of the Spirit. Against such things there are no laws. We want all of those. Don't you want love and joy and peace? Those are the things that the Spirit provides us in the gospel. Because true life and true living comes from God. Not by control, not by arrogance, not by anything else. It comes from God. And everything that you ultimately desire is in Him. So people of God, put your hope in the Lord, now and forever. Believe in the Lord Jesus through faith. And if you have not come to know Lord Jesus, I ask you to consider that. That you might be saved. That you might have food that is not controlling, that is not using other people. You would have the food that God provides us that will be forever and ever. Put your faith in the Lord and hope in the Lord this morning. Now we're going to get ready to go to the Lord's table where we're going to feed through the sacrament. That there's power here. Something that God has instituted that by the Holy Spirit, by something mystical, He's going to feed us. He's going to unite us to Jesus. And there'll be some gratification, some satisfying in the gospel. But if you haven't given your life to Jesus, this part of the service I ask you to not do. But if you know you need the Lord, if you're dependent upon the salvation we have through the cross of Jesus Christ, his blood shed for you, his substitute for the wrath of God, that we can be free and loved and and everything that I've mentioned this morning, then this table is for you. And let's prepare our hearts for that as I pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to pause briefly on this first Sunday of Advent and recognize our need and how you have made provision for us. And help us to hope in you. 
Help us to value you, to be humbled, to be trusting, and to experience the joy, the joy and the life and the relationship that we have with you, in part now and one day in full. We're grateful for the opportunity to feed together upon the good news, the bread from heaven, to drink the living water. Thank you that you hear us now, that you're with us, caring for us like a mother, nourishing us. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.